We welcome you here, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence in this church. We open our hearts and our lives to glimpse afresh the glory and majesty of Jesus. Come and fill this place and fill our hearts. We are here to worship Almighty God whose purposes are good, whose power sustains the world he's made, who loves us, though we have failed in his service, who gave Jesus Christ for the life of the world, who by his Holy Spirit leads us in his way. As we give thanks for his great works, we say together, we remember those who have lived and died in his service and in the service of others. We pray for all who suffer through war and are in need. We ask for his help and blessing that we may do his will and that the whole world may acknowledge him as Lord and King. Amen. We sing together, How Great Thou Art. Shall come with. 
Sunday is an important occasion to remember the incredible services of men and women who have served our country and in some cases have made the ultimate sacrifice to defend the freedoms that we all enjoy today. Whilst we rightly focus our attention on those who have lost their lives during service, those who have made that ultimate sacrifice, for me this is also a time to remember the sacrifices made by all those who have served. After all, it is those who served and returned to society that have truly made a difference in helping shaping our future going forward. In both world wars, over 90% of those who did serve returned and took a part in shaping that future for us. We've paid, we're going to pay tribute later to the men and women of Ashington who lost their lives during the First and Second World War and whose names are recorded here on the walls of the church. But since the end of the Second World War, 7,192 servicemen and women have lost their lives on operations worldwide, including 255 servicemen who lost their lives and a further 775 who were wounded during the Falklands conflict 40 years ago this year. The armed forces is not solely about fighting wars, but we also serve the nation in many other ways, including peacekeeping operations, anti-narcotics operations in the Caribbean, the operation to stop the illegal wildlife trade in Africa, and more recently, soldiers have been at the forefront of homeland security in the fight against COVID and ensuring the safety of migrants arriving on our shores. This year, much of the armed forces effort has been on training Ukrainians to allow them to defend their own country and uphold their own freedoms at home. The sacrifices of those who serve start on the first day of their service when, in a tradition that dates back to the Magna Carta, they swear an oath of allegiance to the monarch. When I joined the army 36 years ago, I swore an oath of allegiance that has been unchanged for centuries. And it read, I swear by Almighty God that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, her heirs and successors, and that I will be in duty bound, honestly and faithfully defend Her Majesty, her heirs and successors, in person, crown and dignity against all enemies 
and will observe and obey all orders of Her Majesty, her heirs and successors, and the generals and officers set above me. During the last year, we have sadly lost Her Majesty, who died in her Platinum Jubilee year, having served as monarch and head of the armed forces for 70 years. In her role as head of the armed forces, she held over 50 honorary ranks and appointments in British and Commonwealth forces. But her military service started some 80 years ago, when on her 16th birthday, she became the honorary colonel of the Grenadier Guards. She went on to become the first female member of the royal family to serve full-time in the armed forces, when at the age of 19, she joined the Auxiliary Territorial Service in February 1945, in which she served until the end of the war. Although her active service was relatively brief, she undoubtedly made sacrifices during both her military service and her service as the monarch in the years that followed. The oath of allegiance sworn by servicemen passes on her death to her heirs and successors. And as such, King Charles III succeeds her and now takes her role as head of the armed forces. He also has served full time in the Royal Air Force and the Royal Navy between 1971 and 1976, completing his active service as the commander of the minesweeper HMS Bronington. On Remembrance Sunday, we spare a moment to remember not just those who have given their lives in service of their king and country, but all of those who have taken that oath of allegiance to serve and who have done their duty, whether it be service in the Home Guard, like Corporal Ernest Sparks, who is commemorated in a Commonwealth War Graves uh, grave in the cemetery here, uh, whether it be Private John French, who is not commemorated in the walls of the church, but who died shortly after his First World War service, or whether it be one of those named on the walls here, or indeed the long and distinguished service of our late monarch. They all have one thing in common. They began their service by swearing an oath of allegiance to Almighty God to be faithful and to bear true allegiance to Her Majesty King Charles III, his heirs and successors, and in doing so, pledged to be prepared to make sacrifices, up to and including the ultimate sacrifice. And for this, I will remember them. In the words carved on the Second British Division Memorial in Kahima Cemetery in India, when you go home, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, they gave there today. Please stand. So let us remember before God and commend to his mercy and keeping those who have died for their country in war, those whom we knew and whose memory we treasure and all who have lived and died in the service of mankind. Commemorated in Ashington. Lance Corporal George Frederick Baker, the Machine Gun Corps, aged 19. Private Cecil Charles Brown, the Royal Sussex Regiment, aged 18. Private Ernest Brooker, Royal Sussex Regiment, aged 19. Private Albert Edward Day, the Royal Sussex Regiment, aged 16. Sergeant Percy Evershed, Royal Sussex Regiment, aged 35. 
Private Alfred Float, the Australian Imperial Force, aged 28. Private Percy Hallard, the Bedfordshire Regiment, aged 24. Private Percy Lee, the Royal Sussex Regiment, aged 35. Sergeant Thomas James Morgan of the Royal Sussex Regiment, aged 29. Gunner Henry Thomas Parrish, Royal Field Artillery, aged 19. Corporal George Sendall Songhurst, Royal Army Service Corps, aged 30. The Ashington casualties of the Second World War. Corporal Albert James Clements of the Royal Engineers, aged 22. Private Harold Cooney, Royal Sussex Regiment, aged 28. Ordinary Seaman George William Foster, Royal Navy, aged 31. Sergeant J. Gatford of the Royal Corps of Signals, aged 33. Aircraftsman First Class Ronald Gocher, Royal Air Force, aged 19. J. Harvey. Leading Aircraftsman Albert John Hewlett, Royal Air Force, aged 24. D. Hill. Corporal Alan Leslie Johnson, Royal Engineers, aged 38. P. Keeble. Flight Lieutenant Peter Gardner Keeble, Royal Air Force, aged 24. Leading Aircraftsman Geoffrey Knight, the Royal Air Force, Reserves, aged 24. Second Lieutenant Patrick Arthur Lucas Shelton Palmer, the Mandalay State Volunteer Force, aged 25. Violet Maud Shelton Palmer, a civilian, aged 50. Bombardier Daniel Henry Saunders, the Royal Artillery, aged 25. Private John Frederick Stenning, King's Own Scottish Border Regiment, aged 18. Private Richard Stevens, the Somerset Light Infantry, aged 20. And Sapper Gilbert Stiles, the Royal Engineers, aged 35. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn at the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. We will, we remember, will remember them. When you go home, tell, the, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, we gave our today.
going to go and gather at the memorial outside the church. Do take your order of service with you. Thank you. We praise you for who you are. For your goodness that's poured out upon us, just as we've been singing, for 10,000 reasons. For us to praise you, worship you. So God, as we're gathered here this morning, may we continue to encounter your goodness and your presence your scriptures are read over us as your word and truth is proclaimed to us. God, by your spirit, continue to be ministering to us. Be at work in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies. Continue to be healing us. So God, as we prepare to hear your scriptures read, your truth proclaimed. We continue to praise you that your word is alive and continue to pierce us. To God, may our hearts and our minds be yielded to you. Almighty God, King, Lord of heaven and earth, continue to be renewing our minds, we pray. This morning's reading is taken from Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done with faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all their host by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea as in a bottle. He put the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He prostrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all humankind. From where he sits enthroned, he watches all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. A king is not saved by his great army, 
a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a vain hope for victory, and by its great might it cannot save. Truly, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. Spirit of Jesus, come and reveal more of him to each one of us. Wherever we are, we pray, we open our hearts to you now, Lord. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right in the middle of Psalm 33, there's a verse I want to use as my text this morning. Verse 12, Psalm 33. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I think as we uh, find ourselves gradually moving out of uh, the pandemic experience that we've all been through, uh, I think some of the questions we're beginning to answer, uh, ask of ourselves are questions like, how can we live in a non-anxious way in the world that we find ourselves in? How can we live free from fear when we have newsreel after newsreel with crisis after crisis? What might be our personal strategy to live peacefully as a peace-filled nation as we come to the close of 2022 and look ahead. And when I come to Remembrance Sunday, it always gives me perspective. You know, we hear those names read out, most of them 19, 20, 21. It gives me perspective. And perspectives are a wonderful thing because we put into their right place our fears and our frailties, our anxieties. Every time I allow myself to engage with the sacrifice of those who've actually served in war and conflict, I'm convicted of how easy my life is. How small my problems seem in comparison with, for example, the shadow of terror that hung over our nation, for example, in 1940, as our troops were encircled at Dunkirk, or even turning to our day, as men and women found themselves having to defend their country in Eastern Europe as the conflict in Ukraine uh, began to engulf our continent. But putting our problems into perspective by comparison with huge international conflicts still doesn't quite seem to get to the heart of the problem. 
What do I mean? Bearing in mind the sacrifice of those who laid down their lives to fight for our freedom as a nation, I do wonder what they might make of the state of the heart of our nation were they to lift up the lid and take a look today. I wonder what they might make of the state of our hearts. Because when you think about the heart of our nation, by any indicator, mental health challenges are abounding and growing across our society. One of the good things is we now have more awareness and insight about this. But I just sort of step back and I think about when I used to talk with my grandma about what life was like when she was younger, it just seemed that they seemed a bit more sure of themselves and a bit happier than we find ourselves today. That's not to condemn us, but just to take a look, an honest look, at the state of the heart of our nation. Let's take another example. Loneliness. You know, we now know, we're given that awareness, aren't we, that so many are plagued by loneliness in our society today. In the society that is now free to live as it wants because of the sacrifice of so many. Loneliness is plaguing not just the elderly but the young despite our access to technology. Let's talk about technology. We're now becoming more and more aware of the darker side of technology which whilst connecting us globally with one another seems to have pushed us further away from real deep authentic relationships also unleashing cyberbullying, trolling, and a growing divide between virtual reality and actual real life. I mean, um, I was watching the um, Autumn Nations rugby, and at the interval, we've got like put on these goggles and do meta, you know, life and all of this. And I'm thinking, this is this is not what people need. People need to be. In the same place that God said to Adam in Genesis 2, it's not good to be alone. Not, you know, boxing in virtual reality or, or pretending to be Iron Man in virtual reality. Having deep, meaningful connection because of the state of our hearts. Uh, it seems to me there's a real sense in our national psyche that we're lurching from one cataclysmic crisis to the next. Brexit. I mean, how acrimonious was Brexit? And yet that's a long way in our rearview mirror as we face COVID, Ukraine, the climate, energy crisis, cost of lit, da 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 And what that seems to be leaving us somewhere deep in the heart of our nation is a sense of underlying nervousness or underlying anxiety of well, what's going to happen next? And into this context, I was reading Psalm 33, preparing for this, and verse 12 just hit me right between the eyes. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. 
And in the freedom that was purchased for us in 1945, nearly 80 years ago, it feels like, together as a country, we've used our freedom to drift a long way from the spiritual foundation that was shared by most people who were alive then. A spiritual foundation in God that shaped their values and nourished their attitudes. Let me give you an example. In 1940 was one of our uh, perhaps darkest moments as a country and Winston Churchill, who was uh, the fairly new Prime Minister, launched Operation Dynamo. We know Operation Dynamo, Dynamo as the Dunkirk landings, where with our armies encircled on the shores of northern France, Churchill summoned every civilian floating vessel that was possible, civilian boats, pleasure crafts, yachts and merchant vessels set sail from these shores to rescue the surrounded British army on the beaches of northern France. It was a monumental act of bravery and heroism sailing into possible death by normal untrained British civilians we now hail as the miracle of Dunkirk. I was doing some research on, on this and uh, I was reading that as these sort of 800 vessels came together in a sort of um, civilian fleet towards uh, the shores, many of the uh, civilians stood on deck <clears throat> and sang uh, an old hymn for them, Abide with me. Some of the lyrics from that old hymn are these. Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. So I'm a bit emotional, just imagine them sailing. It wasn't that everybody would get out and they could just take them home. They had to sail into shells, bombs, aircraft overhead. And this hymn, Abide With Me, was written three weeks before the death of Scottish Anglican minister Henry Francis Light. It's a hymn saying, God, I need you. Come and be close to me. Abide with me. A hymn of looking to God and inviting and trusting in his presence in the face of imminent darkness. Verse 3 goes, I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. This is what they sang on deck of their boats. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. And they weren't told to do that by Churchill. They weren't given that hymn on paper 
just in case. They knew it. It was inside them. They knew God and they had an awareness of God. They had a trust in God. And when faced with their greatest challenge, they turned to him and put their trust in him. I just feel as a nation, we've just lost something. And we don't have that. You know, it would almost be, forgive um, this being slightly flippant, but I, I was thinking, like, what would we do if we were sailing off to rescue our armies now? What would we sing? And we'd probably sing something completely superficial, like Angels by Robbie Williams, or something from, like, Frozen, like, you know, uh, uh, like, or The Greatest Showman, or, or something like that. It's like something without any depth, something just emotion. It might be emotional, but it's got no connection with Almighty God, and no resources to face our greatest challenge by saying, Lord, I need you, abide with me. And this is not to condemn or look down in any way on the spiritual state of the, of the nation. But I share this this morning for this reason. It should, be, it should have become obvious to us by now that despite our best efforts to live in recent decades as a society apart from God, despite our best efforts to be liberated from the opiates of religion, as, um, <laughs> as was said, it hasn't made us happy. It's left us rudderless, drifting, confused, isolated, individualistic, and I think very, very despairing. You know, one of the things when people like Paddy and I take funerals, uh, particularly for people who don't uh, come to church, we'll always prepare a funeral um, to honour the family as best we can and what they want. And very often, people who don't know God in any uh, way that they can articulate or even are quite anti, very often they choose the same song. Do you know what it is? No, they don't choose Amazing Grace. No, they don't choose the Lord's Do you know what they choose? They choose Frank Sinatra. I'll do it my way. Well, if you really like that song, don't, don't perhaps ask us to, to drop it in. Now, it, it's kind of, again, it's, I'm not saying this to condemn. I'm saying it in a, a desire for, for things to change as we look forward. Uh, because what it expresses is a sort of independent person who's lived how they wanted and, and done it their way. And that's great. But the challenge is, the challenge is, when we face death, when we face before death, the greatest challenges that are before us in life, I need something better than my way. I need something deeper. I need something beyond myself. And I need something divine, eternal, and everlasting. And we've been untethered from God, who, because he's good, brings us life. Verse 12 again of Psalm 33. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a famous German resistance theologian, 
he said this, seek God, not happiness. This is the fundamental rule of all spiritual things. If you seek God alone, you gain happiness. That is his promise. You see, when we make our Lord the God of our lives and place our lives into his hands, we're saying, I cannot do it my way. Which doesn't make us less of a person. It makes us aware that there is someone outside of every empire, every kingdom, above every conflict and every challenge. And that is God. And we, we say to him when we do that, I'm placing myself into your hands. I'm not depending on myself any longer. We place into his hands our fear, our fear of failure, our fear of rejection, our fear even of death itself. And we begin to see in the words of this psalm in verse 13 that the Lord looks down and he sees everything, every person. He watches us and comes towards us and with us. We see when we place our lives in his hands that above every crisis, every war, every broken promise or every broken dream, God is before us, he's with us now, and he will always be long after us. We realize that we are very, very, very small, and he is very, very, very majestically big. And even though he's much bigger than every one of us, every kingdom, every empire, he loves us so very, very much. On the 26th of May, 1940, 800 civilian boats left these shores to rescue us in our armed forces. 2,000 years ago, Jesus left the shores of heaven to come to us, to rescue us from where we were. You see, without Jesus, then our lives would end at our dying breath. We would stand before the judgment of God and we would have no defense for our failures, no way of balancing our sin, no way of putting right, despite our best efforts, the things in life that have gone wrong. But Jesus, when he left the shores, came not with 800 legions of angels. He came on his own in the humility and fragility of a baby born to a teenager in a stable in Bethlehem, subject to all the tyranny and conflict and hardship that human life brings. But when he grew up, he grew up and he prayed as well, abide with me, when he went into the waters of baptism. And the father heard him and pulled out his spirit, who John's gospel said, rested on Jesus, abided with Jesus and never left him. Until that moment where Jesus turned to make his ultimate sacrifice by laying his life down at the cross. And he cried out in the words of Psalm 24, my God, my God. I feel like you've abandoned me. Why have you forsaken me? But he also prayed, but not my will, but yours be done. And he gave his life. 
He stayed on the beaches so that we could come home and sail home to the freedom and safety of salvation. And what he invites is every one of us, and many of us here have done this, what he invites us is to take this message of the king who laid down his sacrifice to rescue us, to offer that back into our nation. I'm talking about the nation, but this is Monday at work. This is Tuesday with a neighbor. This is Wednesday observing those who are dying on their own at this time in our country. All he invites us to do is to come aboard, to recognize him as the captain of our salvation, the master of our eternal destiny, and to say, Jesus, I bow the knee of my heart and I recognize you are God's son. Come to save me, to help me in life, and to save me forevermore. You know, the Bible teaches in the Old Testament that if you do the right thing, you'll be blessed, and if you do the wrong thing, you'll be smited. In the New Testament, Jesus says, hey, <laughs> the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. Sometimes the best people can be befallen with great calamity. There's no nobility in only doing the right thing to secure our safety. You can be the best person, and great tragedy or sorrow or disaster can befall you. You can be the worst person and in life be laden with riches and status and fame. In, Jesus says, this is just life. But there comes a point where all the riches and wealth and fame fall away. There comes a point where living the best, when you live for an eternal destiny, then you kind of lose your grip so tightly on life itself. You know, Jesus' first followers, most of them ended up murdered. And they lived an incredible life. Jesus didn't promise a sugary, Hollywood, perfect, problem-free life. But he did promise us, I'll be with you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when you, you give out, when you exhale your dying breath, then you'll come fully, bodily, materially into my resurrection life forever, evermore where there'll never be evil, never be sorrow, never be tears, and will reign with him in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the promise that he's given us. And so I leave us with the final verses of this psalm. Truly the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Fearing God is not quivering in the corner, but it's recognizing he's bigger than I am, and he deserves my life because of his great love for me on those who hope in his steadfast love to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine to deliver their soul from death the nearest I've been most recently to death is praying just a few days with my grandmother before she um, went to be with Jesus and we were just talking about Jesus with her and praying with her and, and um, when we mention the name of Jesus, such peace and joy lit her up, even though her body was shot because she knew she was about to be welcomed in to everlasting love, everlasting glory, and everlasting peace. This is the promise 
for each and every one of us. And until that day, we will fight, we will serve, we will seek out the lost and the lonely and the broken. We will share the gospel of salvation. And in the words of verse 20, until that day, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him. Our heart is glad. It can be glad because he loves us and he's with us. And we trust in his holy name. I pray over our nation, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we turn our hearts and hope in you. In this new era of King Charles III, may we find again as a nation our Lord, our God, and our Saviour, that in days to time, days to come it may be said of us by our children and grandchildren happy is the nation whose God is the Lord Amen